0: Well, good morning. Welcome again, and uh, thanks for being here with us this morning. Uh, We are incredibly excited for where we're at in uh, this church planting journey. We are six months in. Uh, We are simple people uh, committed to knowing Jesus more. And uh, and living in his example. So thanks for joining us this morning. As we begin, there was a number of core values that were at the core. And it was um, early in the process that we were um, considering who we are. We were trying to articulate who we are as a people. And it was Justin Harper. You saw him in the video. They're out of town this week. Um, who who put it in these terms? Uh, he said it's it's about his love, our community that you can belong and be a part of. And so it begins with God's love. Like we are people who have realized just the beautiful opportunity that God has offered to us. And out of that, community is formed in two ways. It's formed in this context, a community of believers. But community is also significant in the sense that as followers of Jesus who live intentionally in the world around us, I believe God desires to use us to reshape this community to reshape the tri-cities, um, that we and the rest of the faith community throughout the tri-cities are, are operating in ways that are changing the world around us. And you belong, this is a place that people can belong and this is kind of the story uh, that we're going to be on today uh, af- following Easter and, and exploring the resurrection and Jesus following the resurrection approaching the table of, of his apostles and uh, and his first words after the resurrection to those apostles in the in the gospel of Luke were "Peace be with you." And it, it really resonated that God God's heart is peace. God's desire is to bring peace into the world, and through Jesus, a gruesome death, nothing peaceful about the world did to God, did to Jesus, but Jesus and God responded in peace, in resurrection, in new life, in an invitation to belong, um, and and approaching the table saying, peace be with you. So we begin this series where we wanted to explore um, what, what did this journey look like? We begin last week with a man named Abram who got... God called into covenant relationship. God, God invited this, this man, uh, 75 years old at the time. Um, uh, he, he said, you're going to have a child and, and, and you will be the father of a great nation. And, and he said, the covenant portion of it, he said, I'm going to bless you that you can be a blessing to all nations. We considered this idea that, yes, God saves, God loves, God invites people into special and covenant relationships relationship, but in so doing, he invites them to become a part of his mission in the world. The invitation goes far beyond personal salvation and towards significance and hope and participation in the mission of God. And so today we continue this, this journey through, through what was God doing with this Israelite people Last week we talked about the call of Abram. Now hundreds of years later, God's people are living in Egypt, and they have become a great nation. Um, in fact, uh, the, the number that you'll see um, later in the story is about 600,000 um, men able to fight. And, and so you do the math, that's men ages 20 through 60 years old, and, and they might be two or three million people strong. At this point, so, so God's promise to Abram had uh, in, in part come to fruition. They had become a great and a powerful nation. Except in time, uh, they had, uh, at first, they had been quite prosperous in Egypt. But a new Pharaoh came into power who was afraid of their numbers and afraid of their power. And so they were enslaved. And for 400 years, these Israelite people asked the question of God, where are you? What's happening? We were invited to covenant relationship and here we are, slaves in a nation not our own. You promised us our own nation. And that's where Moses enters the scene. Early in the story of Exodus, um, Moses enters the scene. God calls this man out in the desert, hiding. He was um, uh, kind of a fugitive of Egypt now at this point, uh, though he had grown up in Pharaoh's household, had been adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. And, um, and Moses is out in the deserts uh, away, and God comes to him, and he invites Moses to participate in freeing his people from slavery. Here they are in harsh bondage. Um, Moses is hiding out and God comes to him saying, "I I want you to participate. I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. And Moses comes up with excuse after excuse of why he can't do it. And isn't that the way uh, that we so often operate? It's so easy to see the the problems, the faults, the why we can't. And often it's so hard to see God's grand vision for our lives, for our church, for our community, for the world as a whole, right? And so Moses sees all the problems, and he says, "God, I wouldn't even know who to tell Him." Sent me, and God answers this question. Well, what if they don't believe me? Moses says, and God says, "I'll perform signs and wonders and." God God keeps making promises. Finally, Moses says, just send someone else. And God says, I've sent Aaron to do it with you. Head on into Egypt because you're leading my people out. It's a beautiful story of calling. And unfortunately today, um, since we're looking at the macro picture, the big picture of God and his story through the Israelite people, we're not, we're not going to spend the the. 10 weeks we could spend in the story of Moses, we're going to look at the overview and the big picture of what God is doing. And so for Exodus chapters 1 through 18, God, uh, it, it speaks of a redeemed people. We're going to explore today um, the what, what it means to be the missional people of God and how Exodus serves as kind of a paradigm for the way God works with his chosen people. Uh, and, and first, we see in, in chapters 1 through 18, the story of Moses, uh, that they are a redeemed people. Redeemed means to be bought out of slavery, that God purchased them out of slavery, that God brought them their freedom. He does so with Moses as, as he brings ten plagues on Egypt. Uh, there's the gnats, and uh, there's um, the locusts, and uh, the river there turns to blood. And um, And through all these ten plagues, we see the power of God. Yes, but it's important to note that God is waging battle against the gods of Egypt. He is making very clear his dominance over the gods of this nation. Uh, When all their crops die to the locusts, God has made very clear to Pharaoh and the Egyptian people uh, that I am the one true God. And throughout all ten of those plagues, uh, Moses' God is at battle with the gods of Egypt Until finally God conquers the final god there in Egypt, small g god, uh, and that is the Pharaoh himself. You see, in Egypt, the Pharaoh was to be hailed as a god. He was a god walking amongst men. And so in the end, God conquers the gods of Egypt, and Pharaoh lets the people go. And so Moses and his followers, they they find themselves leaving Egypt, some two or three million strong maybe. They find themselves trapped at the Red Sea, unprepared to fight at this point, but having uh, uh, taken with them the riches, the treasures of Egypt. And Pharaoh realizes, how can my economy survive without the two or three million slaves that I had working before? And so Pharaoh's army, the dominant army of the world at the time, comes chasing after the. Israelite people, and here they are trapped at the Red Sea. And God, through Moses, Moses spreads his arms, and the waters part, and they walk through. And as as the armies of Egypt come rushing in to follow, the waters come crashing down, and God defeated the military power of Egypt. So that is the story that we hear in the first 18 chapters. It's that of a redeemed people. And to be a redeemed people, it's important to realize that the they didn't accomplish it in and of themselves. They don't get to claim our power or our craftiness or, or whatever it is. They don't get to claim that we saved ourselves from Egypt. You see, the story of God's redeeming a people is that of a people hopelessly lost in slavery and a God who is powerful over all powers who invites his people into something new. So we see in Exodus a redeemed Not redeemed by their own hand, but redeemed by God. And then the story of Exodus continues in Exodus 19 and and 24. And it speaks to a covenant people, a treasured people. It says this in in Exodus chapter 19, verse 4. I think I've got it up here. Um, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully, fully and keep my covenant, Then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So, so God reestablishes a covenant. It, with Abraham, with one man, he entered into a covenant that his people would be great and they would be blessed, that they could be a blessing for the world. And now God redeems his people. And a couple million strong, God reestablishes with them a covenant in which he reminds them that it is I that carried you out of Egypt, that I rescued you from your slavery in Egypt. He says, now obey my commands. And live in this covenant, and you will be my treasured possession. You know those treasured things in life? Um, Sometimes the things we spend the most money on are the things we value and treasure the most, right? So for many of us that own a home, our our home is something that's very significant. And yet, um, thank God we've never experienced, some of you might have, we've had many friends who had, who have experienced like a house fire, and, and as tragic as it is that a home might be gone, often we realize in those moments that the most treasured things were the picture of a great-grandparent, right? A, a wedding dress or, or something like that. That the most valuable things monetarily in life are sometimes not the most treasured things we have in this world. And God says this of the Israelite people. He says, you will be my treasured possession." That that you will be loved and that you will be cared for, that you will be my treasured possession. And this is where, now last week we talked a little bit in the call of Abram. So why this exclusive nature, God? Why would you pick favorites and the Israelites would get all the blessing? Why did they get to be the treasured possession? It was really important last week, and if you weren't here, I want to reiterate, that that notice the blessing was for the purpose of blessing the world. God was to bless and to work through Abram that the whole world would receive the blessing that God was pouring out. And in the same way, you'll see here as he reestablishes covenant, you will be my treasured possession. And then he clarifies, though the whole earth is mine, you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So kingdom of priests, that that the people of God would be conducting the religious uh, duties and rites that invite people to come into relationship with God. He reestablishes that you, having been called into special, beautiful, unique relationship with me, are invited then to distribute my blessing, to be agents of my peace, reconciliation, and hope for the entire world, which is also mine. So we see a redeemed people as God calls them out of Egypt in uh, Exodus chapter 1 through 1 through eight, 18 and then we see God reestablishing his covenant in uh, in chapter 19 there of Exodus. And then in 20 through 23 we, uh, we get what is an interesting little stretch of, of scripture. If you get a chance in the next week to read through the, the book of Exodus, I'd recommend it. Spend the week on it. Read a couple chapters, a few chapters each day. Um, and you'll find as you get to chapters 20 and 20 through 23, the law. And God is going to set up for them the Ten Commandments. And then he's going to set up for them the other um, Sabbath laws and ceremonies and celebrations and the things that would define the Israelite nation. And as we read through there, we get so bogged down in the laws and the expectations of God sometimes that we miss the grand picture of what God is accomplishing through the laws that he establishes for his people. So often the Israelite people would get caught up in the laws they had to follow and create extra laws to be sure we don't break any laws. But I would argue that in chapters 20 through 23 there, God is doing something quite different than establishing rules for the sake of rules. Sometimes doesn't that feel like what Christianity is about, just more rules. I know our friends that aren't followers of Jesus feel that way about us. They're like, why would you want more rules or restrictions in life, right? So sometimes we think like that. But I think what God is doing in these chapters is he is um, establishing the defining characteristics of a contrast people that will shine like a light in the world. That God is defining for them, if you will live in these ways, you will shine like a light for the world, that the whole world may know me, that the whole world may know God through the way his people live. And so you'll find, contrary to the laws of other nations at that time, contrary to our laws so often, um, you'll find in those chapters um, a real priority on mercy, And on social responsibility and on justice and on love. And so those are the defining marks of the people of God. This missional people of God that he's called and he gives laws, and, and rather than them, than them being obstructive and restrictive in nature, to live like God invited people to live is a life of mercy and social responsibility and justice and love, that, that the people of God could shine and be seen as something beautiful and special in the world. In the remainder of ex- Exodus, if you read it, this, this, uh, these last chapters... We'll drag on as it talks in such detail um, about the building of this tabernacle. And the tabernacle was to be this tent that God would dwell in. And so there's this realization that God chose to not only redeem his people, to live in covenant with them, to treasure them, uh, to to invite them to be a contrast people that lives in beautiful ways for the world to see, but then God promises to dwell with them. To be near to his people. And so you see all the detail of how the tabernacle is to be built and how it was built. And then at the end of Exodus, we get this beautiful picture. Uh, and and it would be easy to read right past it, but notice it when you get there. In chapter 40, uh, verse 35, that the tabernacle has been built. The law has been established. And it says, then the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And let me propose that, well, we could just read right past it. This is the climactic moment of Exodus. God, who has redeemed his people, called them into covenant relationship, invited them to live beautiful lives, to participate in his mission. Then he fills the temple, that God's presence would be amongst his people. So I'll turn our attention for a few minutes today um, to, to God's invitation to a missional Covenant people. As we consider ourselves as we consider followers ourselves followers of God, as we consider us as a part of the church, what does it look like to live in relationship with God? What has this God invited us into? And I'd say it looks something like this. As we look at Exodus as this paradigm, that we can then ask, so, so how did God invite people into relationship? It looks like this that we are a redeemed people that we have been bought out of the slavery of sin, that God has taken our consequence, that we can be free. God has saved us, both to give us purpose and hope in this life and purpose and hope in the next life, that God has, has saved his people. I don't know if you remember what it's like to be saved. I don't know if maybe you've ever had a near-death experience but to be saved, that moment of realization that I'm safe. I remember as a as a child, uh, we were at the Oregon coast with our best friends. And my friend Josh and I were swimming out in the ocean. And um, uh, sometimes uh, in the ocean you get those riptides where there's a, a really strong current out. And I don't know if we got caught in that or if it was just the tide switched while we were out swimming. And... Um, and uh, I remember we both noticed this is getting a little bit scary. And, and so we said, let's go. And we started swimming towards shore. And I loved to swim. I was on swim team, and I started swimming. And a moment later, I looked back to see Josh having not gained any ground, if at all. And so I stopped swimming, and, and it took me to Josh, where he's just thrashing in the water. And I, I remember... Um, for what felt like a lifetime, it probably wasn't more than five minutes, but we thrashed in the water, me with two legs and one arm and pulling on Josh while he's swimming as hard as he could until we got to shore. And I remember laying there on the beach just looking up at the sky in tears. It, it, I mean, it was that moment where we realized we were safe, we were Okay. And years later, I'll be very brief on this part of the story, but years later, I found myself as a sophomore in high school, caught up in all sorts of destructive behavior and things. And it was that friend, Josh, who I'd kind of lost touch with, who called my parents and told them everything going on in life. And at the time, it didn't feel like the sort of thing a best friend would do. But in time I realized, and and in reflection in years after, Josh and I realized the reciprocal relationship that we had, that we had each saved the other in a beautiful way. And salvation can come in the form of something physical like the ocean. Or it can come in spiritual, like like in my case, that I was so lost and I was living in such destructive ways. But in both ways, God has redeemed a people, that, that we as, as the people of God, he has saved us from, from so much and given us so much new purpose and hope in Jesus. And as the missional people of God, as, as the church, God has called us into covenant relationship. And yes, this gets challenging because we talk about like rules or ways that we would live. But yes, God invites us to live in beautiful ways that shine like a light in the world around us. And so God invites us to covenant relationship. He He invites us to be his treasured people. That as distant and and as lonely as sometimes we feel in this life, to remember that God has chosen us to be his treasure. The most valuable things that he has is us who are followers of his. And God has invited us to be this contrast people that shines in the world. And God has invited us to be the people that know his presence that far greater than God dwelling in a tabernacle amongst the Israelite people as they traveled towards the promised land, in Jesus the promise has become that that his spirit dwell inside of us, that we could know God's presence in our day-to-day lives, and that we can be invited into his mission, that we could live lives of purpose, That, that we be caught up in his mission you know, we we begin this journey as a church um, exploring the idea of missional church, and and you might have heard that term because it has become just such a catchphrase uh, in in Christendom. Uh, but there's depth and meaning to the idea of missional. I think um, a man named Goheen, who wrote the book Light to the Nations, uh, expresses it just beautifully. Um, at its best. Missional uh, describes not a specific activity of the church, but the very essence and identity of the church as it takes up its role in the story, uh, in God's story, in the context of its culture and participates in God's mission in the world. So so missional is not a, a program that we run. It's not something that we do as much as it is what defines us as people. That that as a church and as a people, we want to be those missional people of God who realize we have been redeemed not by our own doing, but that God has given us a free and beautiful gift and invited us into new life and a new purpose to be a contrast people that live in a way that shine, that people can come to know their God. We are his redeemed people. We are a treasured possession through the power of the Holy Spirit are caught up into his mission and life with him. Let's pray about that. Father, we thank you for this day and this opportunity. And Father, as we have covered so much ground, I pray that today you will just um, weigh on our hearts that we can um, know... Uh, The life that you've invited us to and the hope that you've invited us to after this life. Father, that you love and treasure your people, that you have saved us, that you invite us to salvation. And Father, we, uh, we thank you for, for the call that you've placed on our lives to live differently, to know more mercy and justice, to live lives of love, Father, that are defining marks of who we are as your followers. Father, we thank you for your big, beautiful, and global plan and the opportunity that you've invited us to participate in it. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.